Hallelujah. We give him praise in this place. Come on, church. Let's praise the risen Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are resurrected. We thank you, Lord, for your power. In this place today, may you be glorified, Jesus, above all names. In your name we pray, and together we all say it. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would. And I don't know if uh, all of the campuses uh, were in for all of that, but let me just say, Battle Creek, welcome all of our campuses this morning who are joining us. We're so glad that you are. Uh, and I don't know if the hosts at all the other campuses like Joy did here announced to you that last week we had over 10,000 people gathered on our campuses. Let me, let, me, let me try that again. Let me just say this. This ain't going to work today. I can't preach and respond, okay? You have to do your part. I just said 10,000 people last week on our campuses. And, and the glorious part of that is that over the uh, last weekend, 123, and then seven teenagers on Wednesday night, 130 people in the last seven days gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and we give him glory and, and honor for that. Now, speaking of responding or, or not responding, how, how many of you have ever sent somebody a text and you didn't get a reply back? Let, let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you, that person who didn't reply back is your spouse? See, some of us are married to that person, right? And uh, there are times she will send me like to the grocery store to get something and she's not clear enough about what I should get. And so I'm texting, I'm calling, she's not answering. And so I just get all of them, right? Because I don't know what brand, I don't know what size and I just put them all in the bucket because I think when I get to the cash register, maybe she will respond and I'll tell the sweet girl, hey, I don't need this, I don't need this, this is what I want. And she doesn't answer. And I just have to be honest with you, it's frustrating. But, but I always take this humorous approach in my heart. I've just learned it doesn't do any good to complain, right? She ain't going to change. And, and, and so uh, I, I just say she's creating. Thank God she's creating something beautiful and she's not paying attention. She's not responding. It's, all, it's par for the course with creative people, right? And, and the only thing worse, quite honestly, than, than not getting a reply back from a text is being ghosted. You know what that means? Ghosted means that, that you sent somebody a text and you are watching it and you see the dot, dot, dot. How many of you know what I mean by dot, 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 right? That means they not only see it, they're reading it and they are typing. And dot, dot, dot is happening and then all of a sudden it goes blank and nothing and, and they don't respond. That, that's what it means to be ghosted is you see that dot, dot, dot. And, and I just wanna say to you, if you ever wanna work here at the church, respond to my text. And understand that the phone goes both ways. Meredith thinks the phone is only to call out from. And so when you don't respond and you don't imagine what somebody else is feeling on the other side, it's incredibly difficult. In fact, can you imagine on that first Easter what the first disciples and that group text would have been like had that existed, where they're coming to grips with the fact that he's dead and gone and it's over and all weekend long, right? It had to feel like dot, dot, dot. We recreated maybe what that group text looks like. Watch this.
Some of those jokes are brilliant. Some of you will get them tomorrow. And, but, but today, on Easter, 2,000 years later, we know the rest of the story. But those disciples, they did not know the story. They weren't 100% sure. They had been told, sure. But if you had been told by someone, hey, I'm going to die. You're going to watch me die and be buried in a grave. But don't worry, three days later, I'll come back. There would be more than a little skepticism on your part. And all weekend long, I've been turning that over in my mind again and again and again, that Jesus died. That, that, that he didn't just pass out, that he didn't just sort of go to sleep, that, that he really died, his body died as an indicator of the deep, deep love of God and the deep, deep love of Christ. And his love was so deep for us that he was willing to die and be buried for you and, and me. And if you're new with us this Easter weekend, we're so glad you're here. All month long, we have been studying this prayer in the Bible in Ephesians chapter three that the apostle Paul uh, prayed about God's love, about how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of God is. And, and what we've done over the month of March is we've gone step by step through that prayer. And, and to wrap this series up and to begin today, what I would love to do is to take that prayer one more time and I wanna pray it over all of you. Okay, and so I just want to paraphrase Paul's prayer and I want to pray it over you today. So at every campus, would you just bow your heads and let me have the honor of praying this prayer over you. And Lord, when I think of all that you have done, Father, my response is to get on my knees before you, the creator of heaven and earth. And I ask you to strengthen all of us today across all of these campuses by your spirit. It's not a brute strength. It's a glorious inner strength. And I pray that Christ Jesus would live inside of us. And Lord, we are opening up the door to you. We are inviting you in. And as we saw last week, 130 people make that decision for the very first time to trust you and to give their lives to you to invite you in. We are in awe of all that you've done. And, and Lord, today I ask that uh, with, with both feet firmly planted on love, that we, all of us in here, will be able to take in and to comprehend and to grasp the incredible dimensions of your love, Jesus. How wide and how long and how high and how deep. Lord, help us to reach out and experience the breadth of your love. Help us to test its length and to rise to its heights and to plumb to its depths. Help us to live full lives in you, in the fullness of God Almighty and the resurrected King Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and together we all say amen. Maybe one of the most incredible prayers in the whole Bible because it gets to the heart of who God is and what God did and how he loves us. And those four words in the middle of that text, uh, wide and long and high and deep, that, that's what we've been focusing on for the last month. And I'll remind you that we said that Jesus' love is so wide that it extends to the most unlovely among all of us. And we were all unlovely. God doesn't love us and didn't love us because we were so lovely. We are so lovely because he loves us and his love is so long. It extends into all time and there is nothing that can stop it. And Jesus' love is so high that it reaches to the highest heavens. And today we're going to end this series and talk about the deep, deep love of God. And before I get there, I want to point out one more thing that we've pointed out a few times already in this series. And it's the notion that we could even really understand the love of God. How freaky is that to think that we could actually really understand the, the 
bigness of the love of God. Yet Paul is saying, you can't fully understand it, but I'm praying that you understand it. You can't grasp, but I'm praying that you would just grasp a hold of it. And I love that word in the NIV in verse 18, Ephesians chapter three, where Paul says, may you have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. And that word grasp is such a powerful word. It means to reach out and take a hold of it with your hands because you can't take it in here, but you can take it in here. In other words, you can't comprehend it, but you can apprehend it. And as we'll see today, that you can apprehend it because it first apprehended you. That's the love of God. And on Easter, we're apprehended by the deep love of Christ. And we see the full power on display in that empty tomb. And the love of God goes much deeper than you would even begin to expect. And when you think about deep or you think about depth, how would you explain that to a, a toddler? How would you try to explain the word deep or depth to, to someone who's trying to figure out that uh, concept for the very first time? When you think about it, depth is really a matter of a fixed point of reference, a fixed point of reference. And that's why some people, by the way, are fixated on sermons that they view as deep. When, when I hear people say, hey, that preacher preaches really deep sermons, what that tells me is probably you just didn't understand it. And as a communicator, my goal is to take top shelf things and put them on the bottom shelf, right? So that everyone can understand it. And hear me, the love of God is certainly a top shelf item. Uh, but the depth of our conversation is not determined by big words. The depth of our conversation is determined by the depth of God's love. And so I'm still going to go deep today because you can't help it when you talk about the depth of God's love. And so throughout my sermon today, I want you to respond. And I'm going to say to you, isn't that deep? And your response is, wow, that's deep. Wow. Let's practice. Isn't that deep? Wow, that's deep. Let's practice one more time because Midtown's a little slow with this one. Okay. Uh, let's practice it. Isn't that deep? But depth, listen, it's determined by a fixed point of reference. So it's like this ladder. If I were to ask you how deep is a jump from this ladder, well, it would depend, right? It would depend on what step are you on. So if I'm standing here, the depth of a jump from this ladder is from this fixed point of reference right here. Just show of hands, how many of you would jump from this step that I'm standing on right here? Most of you, right? How many of you would jump from this step? How many of you would jump from this step? Right? How many of you would jump from the top of this thing into that bucket of water? A couple of you are crazy people. Did anybody see that as a kid? I saw that as a kid. I went to the circus and saw that freak jump off of that big tower into that baby pool. Anybody see that? It scarred me as a kid. I mean, it scarred me. I thought, how did that fat guy live jumping into that baby pool off of that big tower? But obviously physics is involved and the angle is important and the wind and all of that. But, but anybody ever jumped off a cliff like at Branson, you know, like 20 feet high into the water? Anybody ever done that? So it can be painful if you're not careful, right? You got to go in at a, you know, a toothpick. And, and, uh, but you get a wedgie like it's unbelievable. Anybody ever dove off of one of those cliffs and lose your trunks? <laughs> I would tell you about the time I lost my trunks. I'll tell you that story. Uh, they're, they're, boys were probably six and four. Catherine was maybe eight years old. We were in Florida on vacation and we went to this water park. Meredith hates water parks. 
okay? Floating Band-Aids are not her idea of, uh, you know, health. And, and, and so, uh, but we all love it. And we, and we were going and they had this surfing hill at the front of this thing. You know what I'm talking about? A surfing hill. It's like as wide as this stage and about 15 feet tall. And it's got this foam ramp. And there's a jet at the bottom of it that shoots water out in a stream about that wide, 15 feet, that tall, 15 feet wide, about 50,000 gallons a second, like are shooting out of this jet. So it's creating this wave that goes up this foam hill. You've seen it on commercials, on carnival ships and all that, where people ride a surfboard on this fake wave or a, a, a kneeboard and the boys wanted to do it. And so I, I said, Hey, we'll do it on the way out thinking they would forget. When they're little, you could use that trick, you know, periodically. And, and, and so uh, on the way out, they didn't forget. They said, Dad, you said we could ride the surfing hill. So we go over and the, the lifeguard comes over and says, uh, nah, you, you missed the line. It's too late. This is the end of the line. Nobody else will get to ride it after this person. And, and the kids, you know, were upset. And so I paid the lifeguard some money and, and, and we got to ride it. And, and, and so the, the way the system works is about 10 people get on this thing at a time and they're led in the gate and there's a ra- uh, stairs that go up this side of it and you take your turn. When you fall off, you get back in line and 10 people get to do it for about a half hour. And tur- you just take turns. When you fall off, it's the next person's turn. So it's me and my two little t- boys and six or seven teenagers that look like they've been cut out of rock. And, and, and so we're talking and they're looking at me going, this old guy, what is this old guy going to do this dad with these boys? And what they didn't know is I grew up on the lake. And so I grew up on knee boards and wake boards and I know how to do that stuff. And, I, and I'm going to pull back from a reservoir from 20 years ago to pull out a skill that I hadn't used in 20 years. And, and, and so I'm going to get on the thing. And so sure enough, I impressed these teenage boys. That was my goal, right? Regardless of how much it hurt the next day, I was going to impress these boys. Well, I impressed them to the degree that they were now talking to me about certain tricks. And the boys said, you should do an egg roll. I said, what's an egg roll? That's where you lay on the board like this, which by the way, is kind of tricky because if you let the board get on top of the wave, it will shoot you like a rocket right off the top of the rock. So you have to submerge part of it, but not enough of it. You got to figure it out. Well, the egg roll is you're holding onto the board like this. And, in, and when you decide you go like this and turn the whole board at a 360 in the air using your core strength. Somewhere between here and here, 50,000 gallons of water a second got between my butt and my bathing suit. And as I landed back here, I caught my bathing suit with my big toe. I'm at this angle, shaking. I was more fit then than I am now. But I look up at the lifeguard and she's about to have a heart attack. I mean, she went. And and, and I look up at Meredith and she is vomiting. She's laughing so hard. There's hundreds of people at the exit of this water park watching this happen. And I'm like, I don't know what to do at this point. So I, I let the board get on top of the wave and let it throw me up to the top of the ride where at least I'm up here and, and laying parallel to the ground. And now I'm, when I say it blew my bathing suit off, it didn't just blow it off. It's like it went through the spin cycle 40 times. It was tangled in and on itself over and over and over while I'm laying flat on my belly trying to figure out how to undo this thing to wedge this bathing suit back up. You say, why do you tell that story? I didn't plan on it. (laughs) And how do you tie it in? Here's how I tie it in. All of us are going to stand naked before God one day. And sometimes we use the phrase fall, right? When we think about that fat guy falling off that tower into that pool or into that tub of water, we talk about falling, but we use the word falling with love all the time. 
right? That we'll say, I fell in love, or I'm falling in love, or she fell in love. And sometimes it's literal, right? Like you fell and crashed and burned. Like when you're 15 years old and she breaks up with you, you think the world is over. Like you crashed and burned and, and, and fell. And I'm trying to learn, by the way, the new vernacular, because uh, I'm raising teenagers. And so I'm trying to turn, you know, learn their lingo and learn their vernacular. And I was out somewhere the other day, like a quick trip, and I heard these two uh, middle school kids talking to one another. And, and one of them said to the other one, hey, my girlfriend is such a snack. I can't even think of living without her. <laughs> Merith wishes I could leave things alone, but I, I can't. <laughs> and so I walked over, put my arms around these two middle school strangers and said, what did you say? And he said, snack. I said, you got to explain that to me. You're talking about like the, what? What do you mean snack? And he said, yeah, like you could eat her up. I said, man, if you ever said that about my daughter, I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> Which led to a whole nother conversation of, well, what's an appetizer, you know? And what's a whole meal? And like, you don't want to know, Pastor. You know? And, 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 and so when, when you think through all of that, that, in fact, I wanted to hand the boy, when you're talking about snack, I want to give him a Capri Sun and some orange slices, you know, and say, here, right? Isn't that deep? Yeah. But when you think about falling, we've all fallen, according to Scripture. It's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. We've fallen short, right? We've fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen into sin. We have fallen away from God. In fact, the Bible is clear we have this fallen nature. And so in a very real sense, we have fallen and we can't get up. And our fixed point of reference is way down here because of our fallen nature. But God's point of reference is way up there in heaven just because of who he is. And so our love consequently is pretty shallow because of our fixed point of reference. But God's love is so deep just by the nature of where his fixed point of reference is. And, and by the way, there's no ocean deep enough to handle the depths of our fallen nature. It had to be God. It isn't that deep. But God's love is so deep. And by the nature of his depth, listen, just to show of hands, how many of you have been to the ocean before? Every camp, just raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you have been to the ocean. And, 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 but the truth of the matter is, is where we live in Oklahoma, more people haven't been to the ocean than, than have been uh, to the ocean. And, and in fact, uh, if you've been to the ocean, you probably at least were courageous enough to go put your feet in the sand, right? Or even put your feet in the water a little bit and, and to feel it. And you, you tried to experience it. We, we've been watching the last few weeks in our house home videos because we, our oldest is graduating in, in a few days. And, and so we're in this reflective mode. And so we've gone back and watched these uh, old home videos from you know, the, the last 18 years, which has been interesting because the players have changed multiple times in the last 18 years. And so we're pulling out eight millimeter tape and, and trying to figure out how to play it, which was an interesting conversation because Meredith uh, threw some of the chords away. And, and, uh, and they don't make them anymore. Right? And, and so, we, we, but I figured it out. MacGyver figured it out. No worries. We can watch the movie. And, and so we watched some of these, the, these movies and we got reflective and we came across this clip of Catherine at about 14 months old going to the beach. She'd been one time before, but this was the first time she went to the beach while she could walk. I, I just want to show you this little clip. I'll narrate it for you. She said, Mommy, get out of the way. And here she goes, taking off right towards the water. She sees a friend that she's going to boss around. And now she's going in the water. Meredith jerks her back and swings her around like a merry-go-round. 
Let go of my hand, mommy. Watch. Here she goes again. Comes back around. Meredith is looking at me. There she goes again. Let go. Watch her face. <laughs> Meredith is saying, Alex, you can put the camera down and chase her for a second. Is what she's trying to tell me, which we've had that conversation for a long time. Hey, would you just chase her and run after her and get her? And so, you know, as babies, when we think about babies and we think about that, some kids want to run to the water and some kids run away from the water. In fact, I, we babysat this one little girl who was about that age and she, her knees would go up in her ears when you would try to set her in the sand because she did not want to touch the sand. And we all relate to it differently. In fact, when, speaking of babies, let me just say this. I missed an opportunity a moment ago. Speaking of babies, let's, let's welcome our newest baby, Jinx, who launched today for the very first time. Put your hands together. We're so excited for you. And so, listen, when I talk about getting in the ocean, I'm not talking about going to it. I'm talking about getting in it. Another show of hands. How many of you got in the ocean before? Okay. How many of you are afraid of the ocean? Just raise your hand. A lot of you, right? Because you saw Jaws. And... Uh, and so those of you who went out in the ocean, here's the question I want you to think of for a second. How far out did you go? But because some of you say you got in the ocean, but, but you really didn't get in the ocean. You just went a little bit out into the ocean on a raft, right, where you could get back immediately or, or deep enough to where you could see just the dorsal fin of a dolphin from the shore, the safety of the shore or the safety of the boat. But there are a whole bunch of you that wouldn't even think about jumping into the ocean from a boat out in the middle of the ocean. And, and from that perspective, you can only see a few inches into uh, the ocean. Here, here's another question. How many of you have snorkeled before? right? Changes the perspective altogether because you put the mask on and all of a sudden you begin to see some of the depth of the ocean. It makes it easier to see it. How many of you have scuba dived before? Okay. There's about 15 of us in the room with scuba dive. And, and, and let me just say this about scuba diving. The thing that I was most surprised by when I went in the first golf dive uh, as a college student, as a scuba diver was the colors. It is fascinating, the colors that exist under the ocean. Because you look at it and you think it's just bland. But I'm telling you, there are colors that do not exist out from above the ocean. They just exist in the ocean. In fact, one of my best friends, when, when he took his little girl to the aquarium for the first time, she said, she's probably about three years old, she looked in the aquarium and she said, Daddy, I didn't know God made that color. Speaking of the aquarium, I, I just want to walk in there. Meredith won't let me do it. I want to walk through the aquarium with a fishing pole one day. <laughs> just kind of over my shoulder and just see, you know, what, what, what people say. But here's what I want to tell you. We don't know the colors of God. We don't know them because we haven't gone deep enough to understand them. And even those of us who are ocean-going people, listen, we only go once or twice a year, right? It's all we can afford. Like, it's like some of you go to church, right? Once or twice a year. And, and, and there's a new study out, by the way, a brand new study out that, that says uh, ocean is good for you. It's a legitimate study, like Harvard or MIT. One of these people did this study, and, and it's not just in your head that you think it's relaxing to go to the ocean. It really is relaxing to your whole psyche, that the smells and the breezes and, and the sounds, it's all something that does a detox in your body. And, and there's a, been a study out for a long time that says going to church is good for you. More than once a year or twice a year, right? You should do that. And, and, and I think, wouldn't it be awesome if we could do church at the beach? I'll be that campus pastor, right? And, and uh, that's what we'll do. But, but, but uh, as you think through this church, I just want to declare to you, 
We are willing to offer you the truths of God at your level. And the question is, how deep do you want to go? And we will help you with that point of reference. And some of you, you want a shot glass of God's love, we'll offer you the shot glass of God's love, right? Some of you want a kiddie pool uh, of understanding the depth of God's love where you can just kind of get your feet wet or come in the front door, we'll offer that to you. Others of you, you, you want snorkeling gear and, and uh, that's like kids ministry, right? Where we introduce you to the colors of God and the depth of God's love. And for others of you, you want scuba gear and you want to go really, really deep and into the depths and explore it. And we want to take you there. And here's the truth. We want to take all of you there eventually, but we're all on a journey with Christ. And so we will offer up any amount of depth you're willing to dive into. In fact, next week, we're going to launch a brand new series. We're calling Momentum, a family series. And as your pastor's getting reflective, graduating an 18-year-old out who started in this church. And so 15 years, she's been in this church, the only church she's known. We're looking back at the church. And we're looking back over the last 15 years and we're going, that worked and that worked and that worked and we shouldn't do that and we should tweak that and we should have done this and this worked really, really well. And so now what we're saying is, hey, some of the things that we injected into the DNA of this church when it was a baby in terms of rite of passage and saying that we want children to walk through these rites of passage so that they understand different things at different journeys in their life, we're repenting and we're going back to that. And when we're gonna dive into this whole rite of passage scenario and we wanna launch this next generation. We don't want to ease them out in a tugboat. We want to launch them into a world to be world changers for the glory of God. But, but just like some of you have never been to the ocean, there's some of you under the sound of my voice today, you don't know God. You, you may know about him. You may have heard of him. Uh, you may know some things about him. And, and there are others of you who have gone deep into the love of God, like, like putting on scuba gear. But, but even those of you who've gone deep into the love of God, let me ask you this question. How deep have we really gone? Can you go too deep with God? In fact, let me ask it this way. Is there a limit, a point where you can't go any deeper with God? Psalm 40 says that deep cries out to deep. You know what that means? The deeper we go with God, the deeper he calls us. The deeper we go with him, the deeper he is able to take us. And, and there is no limit to how deep we can go with God because there is no limit to how deep his love went for us. It, it isn't that deep. By, by the way, as a scuba diver, let me tell you one of the things I learned about scuba diving. The best treasures are embedded in shipwrecks or embedded in reefs and, and difficult places to get to. It, it's not like picking up shells on the seashore. And, and on Easter, we want to go for the treasure of God's deep love. And so when we talk about the, how deep God's love is for us, how wide and how long and how high and how deep, we think in those terms. We think in human terms. And, and uh, when, when my children were really small, I would ask them this question, how much does daddy love you? And, and they would put their hands out like this and they'd go, this big, daddy. And I'd go, nope. And they would do it bigger. This big, daddy, nope. And then they would go, you know, and they're giggling. And this big, daddy. And I would say, nope. And, and we, would, we would end up at, well, daddy loves me around the world and back. And I would say, nope, it's not big enough. And where we finally settled when they were little is, daddy loves you to heaven and back. And that's where we settled over all the years when we asked, how much does mom love you? Or how much does daddy love you? Uh, uh, up to heaven and back. And, and, but we try to use human measurements for God's love. And when we do that, we fail miserably. 
is because we can't comprehend it. We, we try to view God's love through the lens of what we can understand. Hear me. In fact, you probably ought to write this point down because you want to think about this later. The quality of love is always determined by its source. Does that make sense? The quality of love is always determined by where it comes from, right? If a stranger says to you at Walmart, I love you, it'll probably freak you out. Because the context is weird, or there is no context, right? But when a baby who's learning to speak says to you, I love you, it's incredible, right? When a teenager who may be moody most of the time says to you, I love you, it is awesome. Why? Because the quality of the love is dependent upon the source. It isn't that deep. So when you hear, or when we say, Jesus loves you, you got to consider the source, because the quality of the love is dependent upon the source of the love. And there's nothing deeper than the deep love of God. Let me just try to illustrate this for you for a second, okay? I'm going to throw out a name, and I want you just to tell me some adjectives back uh, about that person. You understand the game, okay? And so you're just going to tell me the first thing you think of when I, when I say uh, this name. How, how about Albert Einstein? Smart. Right? How many of you said smart, right? I intelligent. I heard somebody say Jewish. That's weird. And, and, and so... <laughs> Uh, he, he is smart. How about Michael Jordan? Talented. You, you want one of the new phrases? Let me help all you old people out. I'll give you a new one. I learned it not that long ago. Goat. How many of you know what goat means? Okay, not many of you. It means you watch Sports Center if you watch goat, right? Goat means the greatest of all time. How many of you think Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time? How many of you think LeBron is the greatest of all time? How many say the Greek freak, maybe? Yeah, a few of us know what's happening in the real world with the Greek freak. He's going to be the greatest of all time. Let's do this one, Donald Trump. Maybe we shouldn't do that. It could get a little stormy in here if we do that. Right. That's a brilliant, brilliant joke. Brilliant, brilliant joke. Now listen, when you think about God is love, when you think about God is love, li listen, how many of you, if I said God, what would you say? Love, right? All of you would say love, not because I fed it to you for the last five minutes, but you would say love because you would think God is love. Why? First John chapter four, verse eight says God is love. He is defined by love. He is love. Now watch the logic that I'm trying to lay out for you here. If the quality of love is determined by the source of love and God is love and is defined by love, there is nothing deeper than a love that comes from the one who is love and is defined by love. And, and, and so God is unconditional love. His love is so high and so long and so wide and so deep. And, and that's hard for us to understand because we have been conditioned by conditional love. And we think that the quality of love depends upon us as the recipient, don't we? We think we have to earn it. We think we have to deserve it. We, have to, we, we think we have to do something to get it. And Jesus shows up on the scene and completely shatters that thinking. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, listen to what Paul tells us. He says that God loved us while we were still sinners. While we were sinners, he loved us. While we were enemies of God, he loved us. While we were full of shame, he loved us. He loved us enough to send his own son to die for us. Let me give you a couple of points, two points. Deep, deep points about the deep, deep love of God. Okay, you write, write these down. And here's the first one. His love is so deep that Jesus came down to where we are. 
His love is so deep that Jesus came down to where we are. His love is so incredible because it meets us right where we are. In other words, we don't have to do anything to try to go up to heaven and, and snatch it and get it. In fact, subpoint under that is he came to earth. His love is so deep that he came to earth. He left heaven and all that it was to come to earth to be subjected uh, to the pain and the temptation and the grief that the earth has to offer. And you and I think the earth has some good things to offer, but that's not true when you're Jesus. Right? When, when you are Jesus, the earth is not just way less, it's always less. And his love is so deep that he came to earth, but he didn't stop there. He went even deeper than earth. He went to the cross. And on Good Friday, I painted that picture for you. And I got lots and lots of texts of saying amazing service, but I got lots and lots of texts saying I, I couldn't sleep. And it was dark, and I needed you just to mention the resurrection before we left. And I wanted to, to linger with you all weekend long. Listen, his love is so deep, he didn't just go to the earth. He, he went to the cross, but he didn't even stop there. He went to the grave. And, and it was a borrowed grave, according to the Scripture. You say, why would Jesus, the King of Kings, borrow a grave? Because he was only going to use it for three days. And by the way, it was while he was in the grave that the disciples scattered. And we are all, to some extent, afraid of the dark. But I want you to hear your pastor today as he declares over you, it is when it seems the darkest that God specializes in his greatest work. Aren't you grateful that God works the night shift? And in the night and in the dark, he is shifting things around. He is a night shifter. And when you are the light of the world, it is never, ever dark. And you today may be walking through some dark, dark valley, through some financial catastrophe, through the loss of a loved one or someone that you care about, some cancer or other diagnosis. I want you to hear me declare over you today that when it seems the darkest, God is shifting things around for you. And the real point of reference for how deep God's love is, it's not the earth and it's not the cross and it's not the indignity of a borrowed grave. It is the lowest point possible. When you talk about the depth of God's love, he went to hell. He did not just go down to earth and to the cross and to the grave. His love is so deep. He went to hell. Now, can I just for a second give you a little deep theology? Can you handle that for a minute? Just I'll, I'll limit it to a minute. Pre-resurrection, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When people died with or without Christ, they went to this holding area, okay? This is what the Bible teaches. And this holding area had three segments in it. On one side, you had Hades, right? Which were the people who died and without Christ, without looking forward to the coming Messiah. Then this gap in between the two. And over here, you had a place called paradise. Some scriptures refer to it as Abraham's bosom, right? We know that they could see one another across it because of several of the stories that are found in scripture. So this is where people went pre-resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came out of that tomb and was resurrected, the Bible says that he went there. He went to that place. In fact, the Bible indicates that while he was there, he preached. Now, what on earth did you preach? Well, to those on paradise, he preached, I was the one you had faith in. I was the one you put your trust in. I was the one that you were looking forward to. To the people in Hades, he said, I was the cornerstone that you rejected. I was the one that you tripped over. In fact, when he left there and resurrected, according to the book of Ephesians, he took with him in the train of his robe, the people that were in paradise. They went with him to heaven. 
Hades still exists. One day it will be thrown into the lake of fire. And, and, and I just want you to understand this today. He did not just take on the limits of humanity and the cruelty of a crucifixion. Jesus took on the wrath of Almighty God. And that's incredibly deep. It doesn't get any deeper that he took on the wrath of God for you. He did not become like sin. He became sin. Some of you know that one of my favorite passages of scripture is Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11. We, we call it the Christus song. And I just want to quote it to you as we diagram it for you and you understand the depth of the love of God. Listen, it says, though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. He was never clinging. He was never striving. He was always striding. And some of you need to learn to stride in the will of God rather than striving and trying to cling on to something. Jesus said, and instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took on the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in a further obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. He died a criminal's death on a cross. In other words, he went from heaven to earth, from God to man, from Lord to, to slave, from judge to criminal, to from life to death on a cross. And he didn't stop there. He went even further because he was put in a grave and the stone was rolled in front of it and, and the signet of Caesar's ring was mashed into it. And he didn't even stop there. He descended into hell. And hear me today, he doesn't just love you to heaven and back, he loves you to hell and back. And his love is so deep. Here's the second point. Not only that he came to where we are, he lifts us to where he is. He lifts us to where he is. And in fact, in, in verse nine, Paul goes on to say in Philippians two, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And he gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we accept the totally free, no cost involved to us, love of God, when we accept his grace and we take on that gift that he gave us on the cross, God lifts us up to where he is. Christ came down to where we are, but he does not leave us here. He raises us up to where he is. Well, one more passage today, Ephesians chapter two, one chapter earlier than the prayer we've been studying all month. And, and, and here's how I, I taught my kids this verse. God is so rich in mercy and grace. He's so rich in mercy and grace, right? That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And, and one translation says he's so rich in mercy and grace that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When? when he raised Christ from the dead. That is the act of God's love coming down to us all the way down to the grave. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2 and verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with 
Christ. In other words, we get to share in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he didn't just raise us, look what he did. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We don't have to stay where we are. That's the power of God's deep love. We don't have to stay in our sin. We can be saved from it. We don't have to stay on the path that leads to death. We don't have to stay in a state of condemnation and punishment. Instead, we can be seated at God's right hand. And we can have access to the very God of the universe. That's love. That's love. And here's the bottom line for you on this Easter bad news and good news the bad news is hell is real it's real and and, and some theologians think they're being graceful to say there is no hell that's not graceful it's not only dishonest it's a tragedy and I just say to you I wish they were right but they're not hell is real And some preachers, modern-day preachers, have steered away from that subject altogether. And probably it's an overreaction to the previous generation of preachers who overemphasized hell, fire, and brimstone. And by overemphasizing it, I don't mean that uh, they said it too much. I mean that it's the manner in which they said it. It was as if they were happy hell was real and some people were going there, right? That's not Jesus. That's not the picture of Jesus. We can't preach hell and be happy that people are going there. That's not the love of God, and that's not Jesus. Jesus knows. He went there so that you don't have to. And the bad news is is that hell is real, but the good news is you don't have to go there. You don't have to. And your ticket is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ knowing him intimately and personally. And so would you pray with me across all of our campuses? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And If you're here today, and you already know the Lord, you're scuba gear wearing believers, you're already praying. You're praying, you're praying, you're praying for those under the sound of my voice at every campus and even those watching on the internet. If you're here today and you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, You're like that 130 people last week who need to settle that, need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Then I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do just that. I want you to confess it out loud. You're going to hear people praying it all around you. And I want you to believe in your heart. And so right where you're seated, you want to trust Christ. You pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone to save me. Thank you for saving me. Now, before I say amen, I want to pray one more prayer over you and I want to pray a blessing over you. And so at every campus, would you just stand to your feet with your head bowed and your eye closed? I just want to pray a blessing on you this Easter. And so Lord, today I I thank you for salvation and I thank you for life change. I thank you for resurrection and the power of resurrection. 
And I pray over every life under the sound of my voice today, blessing and favor and anointing. Lord, I thank you that as your children, we are the head and not the tail. And that nothing formed against us shall ever prosper. Father, I pray over all of these people, blessing and favor and anointing. And, and next week as we begin this Momentum Family Series, Father, I pray for every family in our church that you would blow fresh wind and fresh fire into their lives, that we may launch this next generation into uh, the glory of God as soldiers, men and women who love you and know you and are willing to go any place, any time, at any cost for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen and amen.